Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Today we're bringing you something a little bit special, as we're going to hear from the youngest scientists to ever feature on the podcast. And to be honest, they might also be the most enthusiastic. If you listened to our previous episode, you will have heard Drs. Alison Bentley and Lindsay Compton discuss the new special issue of Heredity on plant quantitative genetics. You may also remember Lindsay heaping praise on one particularly unique contribution that was exploring the use of cutting-edge, next-generation sequencing technologies to inspire and empower the next generation of scientists. That study was called Engaging the Next Generation of Plant Geneticists Through Sustained Research, an overview of a post-16 project. And today, we're going to hear from the man who thought it up, Mr. John Hale, as well as two of the students who made the project their own, Daisy and Caitlin. All three are from Bewley Covenant School on the island of Jersey, which is exactly where they were when they joined me. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm John Hale. Um, I'm a teacher in Jersey, and uh, I was the project lead for this Daffodil Project, which is trying to increase plant science and genetics within A-level students. Hi, my name's Caitlin. I'm 17, and I'm a student who's taking part in the project. I'm studying biology, chemistry, and maths, so I'm really hoping to go into a career in healthcare. I'm thinking about doing dentistry next year. Hi, I'm Daisy. I'm 17. And I want to study biochemistry at university, so I was hoping to learn more about genetics. Excellent. Well, it's fantastic to have you all joining today. It's really great to hear from such young scientists. And you're all here to talk about your amazing school-based science project, which I know, John, you've kind of already touched upon. But I wonder if you could just start off by telling us a bit more about the project in general and kind of what the motivations and aims of it were. Um, this is kind of one of those fortuitous things. The Royal Society each year throw out a kind of open funding to schools. We want to work with a professional in science, technology, engineering or maths to do some actual research in schools. Current projects include things looking into decomposition of contact lenses. Other schools have done can you taste signs, things like that. We went a little bit higher end towards our project thinking about our target audience of post-16 biologists and chemists to try and give them a taste of what research is really like and whether they have the aptitude and attitude to kind of progress with science beyond school. So that was a big driver for us is kind of the visibility of STEM careers and knowledge and thinking about research as a little addition to that tree of life almost in terms of our project. The kind of ethos was then backed up by pulling in the Royal Horticultural Society and they've got a very active science department there and we were uh, working with Calming Confiance, I can never say his name, sorry, Calvin, <laughs> to develop this idea where students would be able to go out and see science around them rather than just seeing science is done by something far, far away. So every spring we've got thousands of daffodils that pop up along the hedgerows, all different shapes and colours, and it's trying to get the students to make observations like Darwin did and like all those great scientists in terms of looking at the differences in the everyday. And then thinking about how we can make a project out of this was kind of developed from the idea of not just looking at the whole genome, but looking at something a little bit more manageable, which then led us down to looking at whether we could do the sequencing in our school. And uh, fortunately, technology has 
kind of backed us up on that front. So Oxford Nanopore Technologies have made a very, very efficient and cost-effective method of doing sampling anywhere, including our little school. Um, and that all kind of came within the budget of about £3,000, which is nothing, a drop in the ocean, for making a proper investment in science. Mm. Fantastic. I mean, I think saying high end is a, a bit of an understatement. And I guess we'll <laughs> we'll get into exactly how ambitious this project was in a minute. But um, Daisy and Caitlin, I'm kind of really intrigued as to how you both got involved with this project. Um, well, I got involved as I was studying biology and Mr. Hare was the biology teacher and he talked to us about it. And I found it really interesting because um, historically, whenever I was studying science when I was younger, I always thought that it was just nuclear DNA that resulted in kind of the observable characteristics. So I was really interested to find out how the chloroplast DNA could be sequenced and how this can affect evolution relationships between daffodils and their expressed phenotypes. So I've always loved kind of understanding how things work. So finding out more about chloroplast DNA and its effect on the daffodils characteristics was really interesting. I also got involved with the project through biology with Mr. Hale and he told me about the project and I thought it was really exciting because we'd be actually sequencing genetics here at school, which is previously something I thought you can only do in a scientific lab. And we didn't really do that many practicals at GCSE and they're always just to prove something that you know already. So it was really really cool to just be investigating something that's new and finding out something different about our world around us. Mm, fantastic. It's really great to hear you guys speaking about sort of science and genetics the way that you are. And John, I guess there were a lot more students involved in this project. So I just wonder if you could tell us about the sort of wider participation. Yeah, um, from the Royal Society's point of view, they fund a little bit in terms of independent schools. I should say that we are an independent school. But one of the, the selling points of the project was inviting all of the schools around us. We're fortunate in that post-16 options here, although we're in a small school, we're able to offer a lot of subjects through collaboration with them, um, three other schools. But the kind of interesting one was throwing the net a little bit further than that. Um, we've got a state school up the road a little bit, and they just sent down four students on a, a weekly basis. They were incredibly committed, and they've got a lot out of it. It's a, a little bit unfortunate that the kind of COVID restrictions have stopped us throwing the option open this academic year. But from that point of view, um, the Royal Society are getting that wider participation of science. Those students that have come down, some of them are just doing chemistry. Some of them are just doing biology. It's a little bit more of a mix. And with that, they bring a lot of different perspectives and a lot of fresh ideas as well. Yeah, different kind of backgrounds. It's healthy, isn't it, in terms of scientific diversity? Mm, no, fantastic. And I guess, Daisy and Caitlin, Mr. Hill's kind of already touched a bit upon what this project involved, but this was your science project that you guys were at the helm. So I wonder if you could tell us about the project that you carried out and exactly what you did. We collected five different varieties of daffodils around our houses, and we used this as a kind of a point to sequence different varieties of daffodil to see different kind of plastome sequences of each species to see if they are related in any way. Um, so we started off using the min-ion sequencing, which we sequenced up to five individuals, um, which was really great because, as Daisy said before, being able to do it in your classroom was a really cool experience. And we've learned about bioinformatics in A-level biology, so being able to put it into practice was brilliant. We also took the DNA and, um, oh, I can't remember the word, what Mr. Hale knows, when you put the daffodils kind of onto a bit of card. Uh, the um, preparation of your herbarium voucher. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did that so we could um, present it and that was kind of evidence as the different species we'd collected. 
So one of the key things we were looking for was differences between the daffodils. So when we first collected them all, we made careful notes on what their trumpet looked like, what their petals looked like. We compared all of their colours to a paint chart so that we had a reference that was universal for all of our daffodils. And then hopefully now that we've sequenced some of it, we'll be able to compare the plastones and see where they're different and whether maybe that's the cause of the differences. But it was just really amazing when we saw all of the bases on the computer and just thought like we've made this. Mm, I have been there myself and it's very, very cool. And I guess I kind of love the fact that you guys are using the Minion because when I was doing my PhD, someone in my lab got hold of one and she almost had to come up with a schedule because so many people wanted to like come and see how it worked and see how it was being used because these things were so new and so exciting. Were you both aware of just how like special these machines are and just how advanced and how cool they are? Yeah, because we went to the Welcome Genome Campus on a biology trip and Whilst there, we kind of saw the evolution of DNA sequencing technology and how it used to be massive big plates. And then we saw their massive sequencing room and they just had loads and loads of huge machines. So then when I saw how small it was and it could plug into a laptop, it was really amazing that they've managed to condense it into such a small space, but it's still an amazing piece of technology. I think, yeah, also, just as Daisy said, how the progression of the, of the technology... Well, I think it's incredible that the Human Genome Project took like 13 years to um, sequence the whole genome. So us being able to sequence a daffodil's platinum in only a few months, I think was really exciting. It's really very exciting. And John, like this is obviously a really cool, really ambitious project. And I mean, obviously, minions aren't easy to get hold of. A lot of researchers still can't get them. So how did you actually go about organizing and pulling off a project of this scale? The, the application process for a partnership grant is pretty rigorous so the initial idea kind of started around about november the first round of feedback from the kind of judging panel was in february and then after that it ramps up very very quickly in terms of the level of detail that you need to put in kind of involving calman from the the early part because we initially thought about the students could prepare the dna and send it off to oxford genomics to do all of our sequencing for him us um but that kind of takes away part of that investigative process that as we heard from DSE and Caitlin the excitement of seeing what we've got and having done it all of ourselves is invaluable anybody can kind of plug something in and get something ordered off the back but that kind of takes away any kind of sense of ownership and so getting in early I guess is probably the easiest thing to do with ordering from Oxford Nanopore and that's what happened we, we got the grant and then four months later which is perfect timing for us the minion came in the post along with a couple of flow cells and the, the reagents and we were ready to go yeah so it's being willing to wait I guess is the easiest thing and having the finances there and waiting kind of ready for the technology and um, with that we managed to get an extension grant and we've got flongal flow cells now and we've got the, the adapter and we are kind of ready to start the next phase of the project. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mm, that's fantastic. And I guess, Daisy and Caitlin, I kind of feel like I already know the answer to this. But obviously, this kind of project's a big time commitment from you. So I'm wondering if you think it was worth it, like if it was fun, if you think you learned a lot. Oh, definitely. We've definitely learned a lot in the project. And it's not that much time to put aside to like better yourself as a scientist and discover really exciting things in the process. So I haven't really felt like it was a big burden on me because it doesn't really feel like boring kind of learning when you're actually investigating DNA and finding out results in real time. Yeah, I I agree with Daisy. I found that it was kind of an investment in uh, my own scientific understanding and increasing my knowledge, not just of science as a whole, but also of gene technologies and bioinformatics, which I found was really great. Mm, It definitely feels different when it's your project and you're kind of at the helm and in control, doesn't it? John, I'm really curious, like obviously Daisy and Caitlin really like it, but I'm kind of curious about how this project has been received more broadly. So by the other students that were taking part, by parents, by the schools, what's the reaction been? Um, We were kind of hoping to go and share all of our findings at the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition. This summer uh, would have been the first time they would have invited something like 20 different partnership grant projects to share. And we were exhibit one on day number one and day number two. So that would have been the real test of how well the, the research had been received, I think. But unfortunately, things have kind of gotten the way, but maybe next year we can resurrect that. We were going to bring um, our four whole year students along with Caitlin and another student over to, to London for a few days. So it would have been a fantastic opportunity for them. In terms of like the local teaching community, I would say excitement is probably the biggest thing. Um, having one of their peers getting published is quite exciting. I've, I'm immensely proud of just getting it out there. I'm immensely proud to like Lindsay in particular for guiding me through the process. I can't thank her enough for what she's put into the paper itself. So thank you. Being able to share with everybody what it's like to run a project like this that's making an actual tangible contribution to science. Even though it's not quite finished, we're we're getting there and getting closer. And because it's being shared within the scientific community, a lot of people are getting behind the ideas and the, the project and thinking about how they can pull it into their own little contexts at the moment. The University of Dundee are looking at making this one of their big outreach projects for next year. Uh, the Royal Society already um, ring fencing the funds for 10 schools to do their daffodil project up in Scotland, which will be amazing in terms of another kind of potentially few hundred um, young scientists making very, very useful contributions to the, the tree of life. Um, that's quite cool. In terms of parents, I get stopped in the street and uh, <laughs> people say, oh, I've just seen a little bit more about daffodils. <laughs> you can see that kind of excitement. And it's a bit weird because there's lots of um, people that I just don't know who they are um, stopping me in the street. A daffodil celebrity. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even got my face on any of it. Um, but yeah, you can kind of see the, the sense of excitement in our community that science is actually happening. Being in Jersey is challenging. The only kind of visible careers are healthcare, ecology, there's one kind of bit outside that and they run sampling through HPLC, but they're locked up in a, a tower as in like a, a two office unit, not the most visible. I think they employ like six or seven people. There is no outwardly facing science happening on the island. So a little project like this, it 
kind of gets people's imaginations racing. Mm, no, it's it's a really so. In our previous episode, we had the guest editors of the special issue, Lindsay and Allison, on, and Lindsay kind of singled this paper out as being one that made her like really excited, and she was really passionate about it. And we did kind of geek out over it a bit too much, so I had to cut some of it out of the episode because it's just <laughs> it really is a fantastic project, and it really is helping to inspire effectively the next generation of our field. And I wonder, John, if this project, I mean, it sounds fantastic, but has it achieved everything you wanted it to achieve? Uh, do you think there's sort of like big lessons for educators and scientists that you're hoping they're going to take away from it? Uh, in terms of the data coming out, we've done an, uh, a kind of reference um, alignment so far, and we can see little bits that we need to do it again, almost and um, build up a little confidence because of the coverage. That's very much like down to the, the science of the project rather than the project itself. I do think like Caitlin and Daisy have hit the, the nail on the head by the time commitment. It is a kind of regular commitment, um, but some weeks are shorter than others. If you think we've got a wet lab season from late December to early April, where we can use the Kaijin kit and extract the DNA using that. And that takes around about 75 minutes-ish to do it from start to finish. And then the bioinformatics can kind of just potter along, which is quite nice about it. Like you put in your commands and um, walk away from it and come back in a day or two and uh, you get your, your answer, which I quite like, if I'm honest. <laughs> getting, getting something else to do the all of the hard work. I could not imagine what it must have been like trying to do this with uh, a kind of Sanger sequencing by hand and or like interpreting gels. That would have been horrific. <laughs> We've come a long way. Yeah. And that, yeah. It's using computers to benefit our project. And as Caitlin said, being able to see what the data is like at the end is exciting. I think educators, it's a relatively straightforward project to run and it could be applied to a whole host of local species. It doesn't need to be daffodils. Daffodils kind of chosen because of how visually in your face they are in the spring around us and the ability to look at something that does have differences. That was one of those kind of key early drivers is making scientists look at things as observations um, and look at all of the, the finite details using like a B&Q kind of color chart for every shade of yellow or white and green. It's hundreds and hundreds of colors, but the students have worked flawlessly to try and identify and get consensus as well with the colors that they're observing. The herbariums are wonderful, like artifacts of, of the project, and that will stand the test of time. Something to show the parents, school children from the earliest of ages all the way up to the upper sixth. So yeah, I think outcomes wise, the project's huge. All of those soft skills. And then on a little side note, hopefully our science will also be worthy as well. Mm, no, it definitely looks good. And I guess sort of Daisy and Caitlin, I mean, is it what you were hoping to get from it? Has there been anything that's been unexpected that you've maybe learned that you weren't necessarily thinking was going to come out? How has this experience been for you? And I've kind of learned a lot more about the chloroplast and the plastome genome inside it because before now I hadn't really thought about that and how it affected the rest of the plant. But other than that, I've learned some really great practical skills now, which hopefully will help me in the future because I want to go into scientific research now. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, I think I've improved um, my micro-pipetting skills, which has been great. <laughs> Um, and I've also learned more general the theory behind next generation sequencing and the potential it can have in scientific research and just improving just general practical skills has been great. 
Mm, fantastic. And pipetting skills are definitely required for any kind of lab work. You'll do more pipetting than you ever hoped you would do in your life if you go into research. Yeah, yeah I used to get cramp on my in my thumb on Friday night, and I just used to have like this little tremor. <laughs> yeah, I I know that feeling. Um, <laughs> So obviously this hasn't been an easy project to pull off. It's been very ambitious. You've been able to get hold of some excellent resources. Like the students have worked really, really hard. And I wonder if you have any kind of advice for other schools that might be looking at this and hoping to try and replicate this kind of project and kind of particularly if they don't have access to a lot of additional resources. Yeah, I think the biggest investment has got to be time with the, the teachers. I think in the UK, there's a lot more scope of working closer with the university um, than we have. We've kind of had to achieve this project on our own a little bit through things like Skype and Zoom um, calls. That's the, the limit of what help we can get. So any kind of wet lab skills we've had to self-learn, practice and kind of put in, I think the opportunity within like a UK school that's not as remote as us, go into a university lab use pipettes get comfortable with that kind of stuff that would also help with the engagement aspect with students with higher education and that might help with the aspirations as well yeah i think being willing to put the time in early is the the biggest kind of advice i would give Mm, no definitely good advice and i hear a bell so i only have one last question you'll be glad to hear um and it's really i just want to give the final word to you two daisy and caitlin and what i'm really curious about is how this project has maybe changed your minds about science about plant science and if it's influenced the way you're thinking about your future and the kind of careers you want to go on to after school yeah i would say it has because Although I had kind of considered science as a career before then, I hadn't really thought about what that would entail. And I kind of thought scientific research was more about diseases or animals, like looking at human genetics. And this kind of opened my eyes to studying plants and that there's more to science than that. And I would definitely like to go into scientific research now. So I think it has helped me pick my career path. Uh, for me, yeah, I've also really enjoyed, I never really considered the potential impact of plants. You know, I mean, you always think about how it's animals and human DNA, and it seems to be that humans are always the focus of like media attention and um, the impact that uh, research will have on humans. But I think through learning about the plastome and the effect it has on the relationships between daffodils has really opened my eyes to just how broad research can be and how um, much freedom you can have and how your research can have an impact on society and the understanding that people can take from the impact of plants and their potential uses in the future. Mm, that's wonderful to hear. And yeah, hopefully one day we'll be reading your papers. And I guess one of the really nice things there as well is how sort of passionately you're both talking about it. And it's just kind of a testament that all of the work that John has put in has really been worth it and has really actually helped you guys understand science a bit better. And that's all that I had to ask you. So thank you very much, all three of you, for joining me and talking about this project, which is absolutely fantastic. And I really hope that people will go and read the paper that you guys have in the Heredity Special Issue. It's a very unusual research paper for Heredity, but it's definitely one of the best I've seen in a long time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Thanks to John, Daisy and Caitlin. If you want to find out more about this project, you can do so by reading John's contribution in the new Heredity Special Issue. It's called Engaging the Next Generation of Plant Geneticists Through Sustained Research, an overview of a post-16 project, and you can find it on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash hdy. I love this project, and I honestly can't heap enough praise on John, the students, and all of the other people involved who've made such an ambitious project a reality. 
And just as a reminder, this school-based initiative was funded by a Royal Society Partnership Grant, and the next round of funding for that opens early in the new year. So if you have an ambitious idea of your own, make sure to check it out. But that's us for today. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast on all good podcast platforms, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.